Psalm chapter 1 says that those who follow God are like trees planted by streams of living water. They bear fruit in season, their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. That's how we came to the name of Life Tree Community Church. We hope to be a tree of life for our community. We'd love to have you come check us out. Before I, I say what I, I really want to, to mainly uh, uh, deal with, uh, and that's this. If and when you make a decision to investigate whether there really is a deeper spiritual aspect to life. Everybody comes to that point where you go, you know, church is there, it's kind of nice, but you, you kind of play this little deal, uh, it's, a, it's, uh, it's okay, you know, I get into it. Some people get into it more, some people get into it less. But we all come to this point where we're going like, I, I wonder if I'm going to take this seriously and really accept the fact that there is a physical realm and a, and a spiritual realm. And as you make that decision to investigate the spiritual side, and choose to go a little bit deeper, four things are going to happen. Four things are going to happen, okay? The first one is this. You're going to hear things you have never heard before. All right? now, I don't mean like weird voices. <laughs> I do what the voices tell me. I hear the voice. I'm not talking about that. But yet I am talking about that. There are, uh, a word we were at a conference this past week, uh, Dan and Pastor Kevin and, and I, and and. It was funny because they kept using a word that really helped me to clarify what I wanted to share with you today. The word prompting. You won't hear a voice, but there are these feelings, these thoughts, these promptings. And you're going like, that's really weird. Is that something spiritual? Is that something just from my own mind? But you begin to hear things, promptings, that you will define and refine to recognize this, is, this could be God speaking to me. And it's different. It's strange. It's, it's new. So you'll hear things you've never heard before. You'll do things you've never done before as those promptings motivate you. They don't control you. You don't like, you know, like those weird sci-fi movies where, you know, you take an, it's not that kind of deal. But you just feel this prompting, this motivation. Call your neighbor now. Shut the TV off. Pick up your Bible now. The conversation that you're a part of at work, whether it's a step out of it, you don't belong there. It's an internal prompting that causes you to do, some, do things you've never done before. You'll see things you have never seen before. Now, it may be some of those miraculous things, but it may be something much more ordinary, but yet very striking. I remember very clearly being in a church a couple of years back. Um, a group of ex-bikers, well, not ex-bikers, older bikers, had started to come to this church. And there was this one guy, he was, I mean, he was a typical older biker. He had the big, long beard. I think it might have been braided. The tattoos, piercings, the leather vest, the jacket, the whole thing. Tough, tough guy. Kneeling at an altar, sobbing in God's presence. I, will, I, saw, I never would have believed I would have seen something like that. You'll see things that are just strange. I've never seen things like that before. You'll feel things you have never felt before as well. If you have never sensed the experience of being in God's presence the first time, nope, ain't working. So much for timing. Go ahead. There you go. 
The first time, I t- listen, as you focus on miracles, as you focus on the supernatural, and when you focus on the supernatural, things will get weird. It just happens. This is just normal. The weird is normal. I just want to share that as, as we get rolling. Listen, there's a guy named Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Okay? He's a philosopher, theologian, mysticist. Um, go to the next one. He says, <clears throat> I don't agree with everything this guy says. He's, he's really weird. A lot of things I disagree with. But this I totally agree with. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And there's a twist on that that we've got to understand. How about now? C.S. Lewis says it this way. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. What you have is a body. And we live in both of these worlds, these parallel worlds. And here's the main point of what I want to get at. We live in a spiritual world, and what we call miracles are just routine events to God. God doesn't burn more calories when he does a miracle, what we call a miracle. To him, it's just normal routine. It doesn't, he doesn't have to rest up. It doesn't exhaust him. We see them as extraordinary. But really, big things, little things are the same things to God. So today, as you listen, listen to, from this point of reference. To God, there really are no miracles. We call them miracles, but to him, it's just it's normal stuff. Ephesians 3.20, it's not our text, but it's a great verse, says this. He can do more than we can ask or imagine. Okay? He can do more, and he does it with one hand tied behind his back, blindfolded, saying, come on, give me a challenge. God is not stressed out by the miraculous. We are, but he isn't. So keep that in your focus as we move. If you have your Bibles, um, or if you want to look, turn to page 288. We're going to go today to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. i got to tell you, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I absolutely love this story. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, I'm going to breeze through it because it's a rather long story, but I'll just summarize it as we go through. But uh, this is a, a, a story that I think really helps us, will help us to focus on how God does miracles and why he does them in our hearts and lives today. Before we get into it, <clears throat> we're going to pray, and, uh, and then we'll jump in, okay? So bow with me in prayer first, and then we'll look at it. Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you will interact with us. This is a spiritual world, and we have a spiritual nature. Lord, I pray that you'll speak clearly to us in that realm. Give us eyes that see, ears that hear, minds that understand, and hearts that are open and willing to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before I get to 2 Kings 7, I'm just going to summarize 2 Kings 6 and give you the context of this whole story, because as my wife loves to say, a text without context is a pretext. I don't know what that means, but it sounds really cool. Um, <laughs> a text without a context is a pretext. So let's give you the, the, the context of this. In 2 Kings chapter 6, all that, and you can read it if you want, uh, this is what's going on. There are, there are characters. This is a drama. And here's the, here are the characters. There are the Arameans. They're the bad guys. Okay, there's an army of Arameans from Ar- King of Aram. They're the bad guys. There are the good guys. Those are the Israelites. King of Israel and the Israelites. They're living in a place called Samaria. They're the good guys. And then you've got the superhero. His name is Elisha. 
Okay, he's the prophet. He's the one in between them. And what happens is this. The bad guys, the Arameans, are beating up on the Israelites, the good guys. When they make plans, though, to attack them, to ambush them, God, through spiritual divine promptings, speaks to Elisha. Elisha sends word to the good guy's leader, the king of Israel, and he says, listen, today, when you go to Dunkin' Donuts, the Arameans are around the corner, they're going to beat on you, so don't go to Dunkin' Donuts. So the Israelites go to Starbucks instead of Dunkin' Donuts, okay? They, they go that route, and they avoid it. And this happens over and over again. The, the, the king of Aram says, what in the world's going on? Every time we show up to attack these guys, they change their plans and they're not there. Do we have a snitch? What's going on? What's going on? And his guys say, no, no, we don't. But here's what happens. Every time we make plans, the man of God, Elisha, hears about it. He tells the king of Israel, and they avoid it. So obviously, Israel didn't have uh, a snitch from Aram. I mean, the Arameans didn't have a snitch from Israel. But the other way around, maybe they had. They knew that Elisha was doing this. So the king of Aram, the bad guys, says, all right, I'm done with this. Let's go take Elisha out. So he takes all his armies, he surrounds where Elisha lives, surrounds the whole city, okay, at night. And in the morning, Elisha wakes up, his servant wakes up, and he looks and he sees all these armies, and he's going, what's going to happen here, all right? Elisha comes out and he goes, oh, relax, relax, it's okay. What do you mean it's okay? And Elisha says to his servant, you know, you don't say, God, help him to see what I see. You'll see things you've never seen before. God opens his eyes, and boom, Around all these armies, even further, are legions of angel warriors all around them. And he goes, oh, we're good. Everything's great, okay? So the king of the bad guys comes to take Elisha. And Elisha says, what do you want here? And he says, I'm tired. But God smites the, the bad guys, and they go blind. Great story, okay? They go blind. And Elisha walks out, and he says, listen, I know what you're looking for. This is not where you want to be. This is the place. You follow me. And he brings them into Samaria, 10 miles or so. They're blind. They're just, he leads this whole army into, to Israel, to the king of Israel. And they're standing before him. And he says, okay, open your eyes. Now they can see again. And they're surrounded by Israelites. And it's like, what's going on? The king of Israel says, Elisha, thank you for doing this. Should I kill them? And Elisha, what do you mean should you kill them? No, you shouldn't kill them. They're prisoners. You want to feed them and send them home. So the king of Israel says, okay, I'll do that. So he feeds them, he sends them home. And they go away, and all the danger stops for a while, for a while. But then, after a few weeks or so, months go by, the king of Aram again says, I'm tired of this. I'm going to fight against Israel. So he comes around Samaria, and they what they call lay siege around the city. They surround the city. They prevent anybody from coming in or going out for months. Israel runs out of food, they run out of water, they're starving, they're dying. It got so bad, it's pretty graphic if you read it. There was even uh, cannibalism going on. It was it was ugly situation. The king of Israel says, it's Elisha's fault. If he'd have let me kill those guys, we wouldn't have... I'm going to go kill Elisha. Let's go get him. Now, the bad guys want to kill Elisha. The good guys now want to kill Elisha. You want to be a prophet? <laughs> Good luck. So they go, and that's where we pick up the story in Second Kings chapter 7. They go to Elisha, and they're going to go and, and take him out. The king says, may God, <laughs> it's really funny, may God treat me worse if I don't kill Elijah. 
Elisha in 24 hours. If tomorrow he's still alive, may God help me. Well, that's kind of weird, but, you know, Elisha's sent by God. He goes there, and in 2 Kings chapter 7 is where we pick up now this, this story. Okay? Page 288, verse 1. Next. I just put this away. There we go. Elisha says, listen, he says to the king of Israel, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By tomorrow, I know you're all worried about starving and and everything. By tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost pocket change, one piece of silver. Twelve quarts of barley, only a piece of silver. There's an officer that the king is his bodyguard assisting the king, and he says to Elisha, the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opens the windows of heaven. And Elisha looks at him and he says, you will see it happen with your own eyes, buddy, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Now, in, in grammatical construction, there are different voices they use when they talk about how uh, words are spoken and sentences are spoken. There's active voice, passive voice. If you read and study this in the Hebrew, this was spoken by Elisha in the John Wayne voice. He, he looked at him and he says, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it, pilgrim. Yeah, he gives him that kind of deal. I love it. I love it. Listen, <clears throat> when you are between the physical realm, the spiritual realm, bank on the fact that there will be skeptics. They always come. They always move. They always comment. Skeptics do not prevent a miracle from happening, ever. Skeptics only prevent themselves from receiving the benefit of the miraculous. They're the only ones they cut off, is themselves. And here is how you treat and you respond to a skeptic. When you're pursuing a deeper spiritual life and a skeptic comes, this is how you respond. Nope, that's the skeptics, I'm sorry. This is how you respond. There you go. Yep, no mistake there. That is how you respond to a skeptic. You just ignore it. You don't have to answer, you don't have to convince You just stay put where you are and keep moving. God knows who you are. God deals his plan, does his plan his way. Okay? So they move on. Next verse. Now, there were also new characters. Four men with leprosy also sitting at the city gates. They were outside the city, but they weren't with the Arameans. They were kind of in between the two. There were four men... They have leprosy sitting at the city gates. And they said to themselves this. This is why I love this story. I love this conversation. Why should we sit here waiting to die? We'll starve if we stay here. But if we go, there's a famine in the city. And if we go there, we'll starve if we go back there. We might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. If they kill us, we would have died anyway. What do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? 
these guys were lepers. Leprosy is a, is a terrible disease. It doesn't, people think it, it makes your body rot away. It does not. It destroys the nerve endings in your, in your body. You don't uh, feel things, and you would get a cut. The cut would get infected. Gangrene would set in. Wouldn't even be aware of it, and because of that, they had problems losing parts of their body. It was very contagious. Lepers had to, <clears throat> by law, when they came close to anyone, they had to let everyone know that they were lepers. And they would have to shout, unclean, unclean. You know, remember the book, I'm okay, you're okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm okay, you're a leper. Unclean, unclean. you got to stay away. They were outcasts of society. They were hopeless because there was no cure. And they were totally abandoned because this was a very contagious disease. But these four guys found mutual acceptance among themselves. Okay? Parenthetical thought here. Just step aside from the story and hear me really clearly in this moment. We love impressing people with who we are. Every one of you today, as you got dressed, thought, do I like how I look? Will this communicate to others what I want communicated? We think about that. You will find in your life, if you haven't realized it yet, your most intimate and dependable friendships do not come from those you impress or those who impress you. It doesn't come from those whom, with whom you share your victories and triumphs. Your deepest and most reliable friends are those who share in and accept you with your suffering and your scars. This is where you find real friendship, not impressing others, but receiving others as they are, who they are, being received that way. If you're looking for friends, if you're looking to be a friend, please keep that in mind. So these four lepers are together, and they come to this. These guys are realists. They say, here's, here's our deal, okay? Let's look at life in reality. Max Dupree says the first responsibility of the leader is to identify reality. That's what they're doing. Here's the deal. We can do nothing. We can, we can, why sit we here until we die? Why, we can do nothing and die alone. We can do the same old, same old. We go back into the city where they're dying and die with company. <laughs> or we can do something we have never done before. You will do things you've never done before. We can do something we've never done before. I believe this was a divine prompting that they had. Why, why don't we try that? <clears throat> so it says at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, nobody was there. And what happened was this. The Lord had gone before them, it says, during the night. And they heard the sound of chariots and all this kind of stuff. Scared the living daylights out of the Arameans. They ran away, run away, run away. They, they all took off. They left their clothes. They left their goods. They left their weapons. They fleed into the night. Now, four lepers come into this camp, and there's all these tents, there's all these arms, there's all these clothes, there's all this food, and <clears throat> I get the image of, forgive me, but if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, I get like the, the, the pirate soldiers there, I get that kind of an image as they're going through the tents there, they're trying on stuff, hey guys, this make me look fat, you know, that, that kind of thing, and they're going from one to another to another, they're eating food, they're, they're doing all this crazy stuff, until finally one of them says, hey, this is not right. This is a day of good news. We aren't sharing it with anyone. Okay, now, they're lepers. They're ostracized. They're outcast. They're hopeless. 
their bodies are wasting away. If we don't share this, something bad's going to happen to us. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> How could it be any worse? Something bad's going to happen. Yeah, I love optimists. You know, optimists, you, you can't pay enough to have a good optimist in the crowd. Right? There is something about somebody who just sees it the right way. So let's do it. Let's go back. <clears throat> let's tell what's going on. So they run back to the city. The king got out of bed in the middle of the night and tells his officers. Uh, they, they said, the whole Aramean army is gone, all this food and stuff in there. The king says, I know what's going on. The Arameans know we're starving. They left their camp, and they're going to ambush us. They're just waiting their turn to ambush us. Skeptics, again, always there. One of his officers says, you know what? Listen to me, king. We are dying. We've got a couple of horses left. We ate all the other ones. A couple of horses left. Let's just send a few of them out. Go down. See if this is for real. What's the worst that can happen? We'll die. What do we have to lose? They go. They find that it's real. There's a mad rush of people going now to get food. This, we, can, we can survive. They're running out of the city. The king says, we've got to put this under control. He gets his bodyguard. He says, you man the gates. He goes there to the gates. This is like a Latin American soccer game, okay? People are just mobbing through here. They're running. They're rushing. The guy's trying to hold the door. He gets flown, thrown, trampled, and dies. And it says, just like... The man of God said, everything happened exactly as Elisha had predicted when the king came to his house. There was food, it was sold for pocket change, and the guy who was a skeptic saw it, but he didn't eat of it. I love this story. I just love this. That, that, just, that alone, that little part. What a, now, I've taken a good amount of time to tell the story. I'll be very brief on my application of it. But brevity isn't a sign of the impact. A couple of lessons that I want to share with you. If you want to live in the realm of the miraculous, let me give you three suggestions. Let me give you three lessons, three suggestions, three ways to apply this in your personal life. Number one is this. Listen for God's prompting. Listen for God's prompting in your life. Pay attention to the things you think. You sense, define, refine these promptings to the point that you can identify whether this is God or not. If you need a miracle and want God to do something he's never done before, maybe he's going to ask you to do something you've never done before. Don't just look at the typical options. Let's do nothing. Let's do the same old thing. Maybe there's a third option. Maybe there's something we haven't done before. It's totally out of the box. I never, but God's saying, consider this. Take time when you pray to not just speak, but listen. Listen. Prayer is a time of listening, not just speaking. Enter the weirdness of the supernatural. Lily Tomlin said, and she's kind of weird herself, but this is really good. When we say we speak to God, people say we're praying. When we say that God speaks to us, people say we're schizophrenic. Listen for the voice of God in your life. Years ago, <clears throat> I heard a youth pastor say, when God speaks, he speaks for a reason. 
And if he speaks for a reason, we should listen. That pulverized me. I have remembered that. I have repeated that in several languages, or at least two languages, regularly. (laughs) I don't even know if you remember saying it, but I'll never forget when you said that. When God speaks, this is God, all right? He spoke. The universe came into, boom. He speaks to us. If God speaks, he speaks for a reason. And if he speaks for a reason, please pay attention. Listen for God's prompting. Number two, take a step of faith and follow his prompting. We need to place action into what we hear. Why sit we here until we die? Why are we sitting here doing nothing? Listen, everything we do is a combination of the human and the divine. Everything. There's God's part and there's our part. He does the impossible, but we need to open the door. If you look through the Bible in virtually every miracle that's recorded there, you will see there's always a human component. God does the heavy lifting, but we have to commit ourselves. We have to involve, we have to take a step and be part of this process. It's not doing it, it's committing ourselves to it. Think of the greatest challenge you're facing right now. Think of the greatest challenge you're facing right now. Maybe it's job-related. Maybe it's marriage-related, family-related, relationship issues. Maybe it's about your health. Is God speaking to you about that? Is he prompting you to do anything in these areas that may seem out of the norm? Is it possible that he's getting more involved than you realize? Please listen to me. God knows who you are. God knows where you are. God knows what you are facing right now. I see you. I know some of you. Many of you I don't know. I know you casually. You all look great. You all look good. You're out for Sunday. But you're going home, and there are things at home we have no idea You're in an airport. you got luggage. The luggage looks great on the outside. Nobody knows what's in it. We don't know what's inside. God knows. He understands. And hear this as well. He knows what you need, and he's got a plan for you as an individual, as a person. He cares about you. Psalm 193, uh, excuse me, 139 says he scrutinizes our steps. I love that word. He scrutinizes our steps. He knows exactly what's going on. This is God, but he knows us intimately. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. He's got plans for you, plans for good and not for evil. He has got a plan always for you. A number of years ago, I took some time and I did a study uh, through, through the Bible. <clears throat> and this is what I had come up with. I did an overview of some of the things that God did when his people needed a miracle. And I learned that in the face of impossible challenges, God always has a plan. No matter what you're facing right now, listen to this. God has a plan for you. If you're standing in front of an ocean, he can part it. If he doesn't part the sea, he can give you the ability to walk on water. If you need food, he can send manna from heaven. If you don't have water, he can make it spring from a rock. If you need guidance, he can send a cloud 
by, by day or a pillar of fire by night to lead you. If you're in a drought, he can send rain from a cloud about the size of a man's hand. If you're facing a giant, he's got a stone with the giant's name on it. If you have a demon, he can cast it out. If you're in the middle of a storm, he can calm the storm. If you're imprisoned, he can shatter the bars of your prison. If you're an orphan, he is the father to the fatherless. If you need money, he's got a fish with coins in its mouth by which he can meet your need. If thousands of people show up that you need to feed for lunch, there's a boy with a lunch that he can multiply to feed them. If you're blind, he can give you sight. If you're deaf, he can make you hear. If you're lame, he can make you walk. If you're sick, he can heal you. If you're dead, he can raise you from the dead. For every Pharaoh trying to keep you captive, there's a Moses raised up to deliver you. For every lion's den, there's a Daniel. For every Haman trying to destroy the people of God, there is an Esther raised up for such a time as this. For every famine, there's a Joseph. For every Goliath, there is a David. Whether you need a miracle, a deliverer, a partner, or just a friend, he not only has what you need, he is what you need. He can make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. He is the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth. Nothing is too difficult for him. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength because nothing is impossible with God. He always has a plan. If you want to find his plan, you need to listen for and follow his promptings. Is God prompting you to do something? Why sit here until we die? I'm not saying jump off a cliff and hope for the best. I'm saying listen to the promptings of God. And then get good counsel and advice from spiritual leaders. You have pastors for a reason. Do that before you do anything. But consider the fact that maybe it's time to take a step of faith and follow his prompting. Third and finally, consider also the possibility that God may not just want you to receive a miracle. He may want you to release a miracle. You can fast forward those two. That's the one. The gift isn't just for you. He might want this to be passed on to others. I looked at the story. We're talking about miracles. What's the miracle of the story? There are actually several. What's the greatest miracle in this story? Is it the fulfillment of Elisha's prophecy to provide bread? Is it the nightmare the Aramaeans had that drove them to flee in the, in the darkness? Is it the guard being trampled? I mean, that was really a nice touch. I, I know it's terrible, but that was a nice touch. Or was it God using four lepers to release the miracle? I mean, for real, of all the characters in the story, these are the least likely heroes. These are the guys in the greatest need that needed a miracle. But these are the ones that he used to release the miracle. Folks, we are so self-focused. We only think of what we want God to do for us. We never realize how much he wants to do through us, regardless of our circumstances. Last week, I had the opportunity to, to travel to Honduras. As most of you or some of you know, I work with 
our missionary department with our about 3,000 Hispanic churches here in the United States and the Assemblies of God, helping them to send missionaries. There was a, a strategic meeting in Honduras of country leaders from all over Latin America, some from Europe, and I get to interact with these guys. I sat at a table with the general superintendent, the leaders of the Assemblies of God Church in Cuba. This man, one of the gracious men, he, he sat there. And he told me, now Cubans, the, the, the church has been through persecution. Financially, they live on about $20 a week. It is just a, a brutal situation for the church, for the Christians, the believers in Cuba. The general superintendent sat there as we were talking about the fact that there are billions of people in the world today. If they died today, they would die never once having heard the name of Jesus. They have no hope for transformation. They have no hope for change. They have no hope, period. And the leader of the Cuban church said to me this, our pastors are only thinking about themselves. They're only thinking about what they want God to do for them. My challenge is to help them to see that there are so many people who are worse off than them, and they can be God's tool to bring blessings to others. And I'm going like, where are you from? I'll come to America. Yeah, we, we got that down. <laughs> this guy was so... too. Tears streaming down his face, so well-tuned to the fact that God wants to work through us, not just bless us, but bless others through us, no matter what our current circumstances may be. I've said it before, and I will say it again. You may think that your role is not that important, that your contribution is not that significant, that your life is not that meaningful. You can't measure any of that. You don't have the ability to. You don't have the right to. We never know when our willingness or reluctance to step out into the unknown and follow the promptings of God may release or prevent others from receiving the miracle they need. Consider the possibility that God may not just want you to receive a miracle. He may want to use you to release a miracle. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Give it a try. Listen for and follow the promptings of God. Let him use you to release his power. Step into the miracle zone. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Father, thank you for this wonderful group of people. Thank you for the road that you're leading Life Tree Church down. Lead us directly to you. It's been said before, but it's so true. We may not be as close to you as we ought to be, but every one of us is just as close to you as we want to be. There are no hurdles that are preventing us from drawing closer to you. Help us, Lord, to choose to step into the supernatural, into the spiritual, into this miracle zone. Listen for your promptings. Commit ourselves to step out in faith and follow what you say. Use us to not just receive miracles, but to release them. In Jesus' name I pray.
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.